Hello, my friends. Welcome. This is Donna, and today's episode is titled, Why Do We Suffer? I want to start off with a quote from Rumi, that ancient mystic poet. If God said, Rumi, pay homage to everything that has helped you enter my arms, there would not be one experience of my life, not one thought, not one feeling, nor any act I would not bow to. End quote. Let's talk about the difference between struggling and suffering first, briefly. Struggling is what makes satisfaction possible. It is pain that we consciously choose or agree to undergo, the obstacles that we choose to overcome because we want what's beyond it. If we never struggled, it is quite possible we would feel undeserving. If we never struggled for something, we perhaps would not experience the joy of earning or of satisfaction. Struggle has a point or goal that we are reaching for. A man named Lawrence from Sydney, Australia, on my Insight Timer app, has this as his tagline on his profile. Obstacles do not block the path. They are the path. Suffering is when there is a component of pain, whether that's physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual, and often we cannot see the reason for it. We may even feel like a victim because we haven't consciously agreed to it. Our subconscious uses suffering for the benefit of our conscious. What we're talking about here in this episode today is suffering. Everybody, everybody is fighting a battle, yes? We all know suffering at some level, whether that's the feeling of lostness or loneliness, grief, shame, worthlessness, rage, and many more faces of pain. I want to share with you seven key understandings about suffering, and there are many more. We are going to talk about just seven today. Number one, human life on earth is designed to be a school of a billion lessons. Home, or the other side where we come from, is a place that we are each fully known and fully loved. The other side is our soul's reality. Our human lifetime is an illusion where we get to play out all of the other experiences that are possible to have in order to expand and mature and learn and evolve. It's kind of like video games. You know, the, uh, the video games that we have today where players can explore jungles or maybe drive cool cars super fast <laughs> or fight or kill simply as an experience. This type of suffering that we experience as humanity does not exist in our home reality. Suffering exists in our illusion because we wanted to experience it and learn from it. Number two, resistance. Resistance. We've all heard it said, what we resist persists. So what is it that I am refusing to look at? 
or refusing to experience or own or feel or get help with or give attention to. The parts of our life experience and the parts of ourselves that we ignore or reject even will keep trying to get our attention any way that they can. And our resisting often becomes more painful than if we simply accept the original suffering or the original experience and extract the lessons that it offers. Teal Swan says, when we turn away from our pain or away from wherever we are, we abandon ourselves. Authenticity is the highest state of being for the spiritual practitioner. We resist and avoid, so we guarantee that it will come back up in our realities again. Only it will come back bigger next time. In fact, in the years to come, authenticity will become the replacement for enlightenment as the true goal of spiritual practice. End quote. Number three, the third key to understanding suffering, conflict. Conflict with others is a very effective mechanism of evolving, yet it can involve great suffering for us. If there were no conflict, which we could also call resistance from others to how we show up in the world or who we decide to be, there would be little reason for us to grow or improve or change. We are all always moving along the spiral path of evolution. This is as inevitable as physically growing from a child to an adult. The growth that is happening inside our conflicts, the ways that we humans rub the rough edges off of each other, does create suffering. Conflict can also be a test in an area that we are working on improving in. Conflict can be a course correction to help us get back on our path if we've veered off or become stuck or complacent. All of these, all of these things can be part of the picture of conflict that involves suffering in a life. Some conflicts may seem primarily about the other person. It's easy to blame everything that's going on on someone else. But if it involves me, then I am meant to learn a lesson from it too. Jackson Kittard says, Anything that annoys you is for teaching you patience. Anyone who abandons you is for teaching you how to stand up on your own two feet. Anything that angers you is for teaching you forgiveness and compassion. Anything that has power over you is for teaching you how to take your power back. Anything you hate is for teaching you unconditional love. Anything you fear is for teaching you courage to overcome your fear. And anything you can't control is for teaching you to let go and trust the universe. End quote. Number four, fourth key, beliefs. Beliefs. Jesus called them demons. In the Gospels included in the New Testament, as well as some of the Gospels that were not included in the New Testament, Jesus will say things like, to be healed, you must first cast out your demons. <laughs> and we're told that what he, the words he actually used in that language meant something along the lines of beliefs. Beliefs and especially the striving to keep our beliefs true or right 
can cause so much suffering. Robert Bolton says, A belief is not merely an idea the mind possesses. It is an idea that possesses the mind. Clinging to our beliefs, which is what keeps our mind closed to other possible truths, causes incredible amounts of suffering for ourselves. Beliefs often keep us from healing and evolving. Fear or ego pride usually keeps us stuck in our beliefs, and we cause ourselves more suffering by fighting to be right or fighting to make anyone with different beliefs wrong. The suffering will continue until we let go of those old ways of seeing or understanding and agree to let new ideas or possibilities enter. Number five, pain's role. So earth and our current humanity exists in a third dimension, now transitioning into fifth dimension, which we talk about in our episode on the shift. Third dimension is primarily an experiential dimension. It's like the baby and toddlerhood part of childhood. We actually have limited intellectual capacities while in human form, so we learn the most from experiencing. Pain is the equivalent of those metal guardrails along the roads. It hurts when we hit them. It does damage. But we don't blame the guardrails. We learn to pay attention to staying on the road. We learn to drive appropriately. Our episode on physical health will also deal with body pain specifically and how we can hear the message that our body is trying to tell us via pain. Brene Brown says this about pain. Courage is forged in pain, but not in all pain. Pain that is denied or ignored becomes fear or hate. Pain is unrelenting. It will get our attention. Despite our attempts to drown it in addiction, to physically beat it out of one another, to suffocate it with success and material trappings, or to strangle it with our hate, pain will find a way to make itself known. Pain will subside only when we acknowledge it and care for it. Addressing it with love and compassion would take only a minuscule percentage of the energy it takes to fight it. But approaching pain head-on is terrifying. Most of us were not taught how to recognize pain, name it, and be with it. Our families and culture believed that the vulnerability that it takes to acknowledge pain was weakness. So we were taught anger, rage, and denial instead. But what we know now is that when we deny our emotion, it owns us. When we own our emotion, we can rebuild and find our way through the pain. These quotes are taken from Brene Brown's book, Braving the Wilderness. Number six, the sixth key to suffering, karma. We will do an entire episode on karma, so we'll just touch lightly, briefly on it here. There are teachings that say suffering can be related to balancing karma and that once the lesson is learned or the karma is balanced, the suffering then stops. That, that is one way of looking at it. Personally, I find it more helpful to ask golden rule type of questions. 
First, am I treating myself how I want to be treated? And then how can I use this suffering to get better at treating other people how they should be treated or how they want to be treated or how I want to be treated? (laughs) Because that is literally the whole reason behind karma anyway. Number seven, tests to determine if we're ready to advance or can handle more responsibility or more learning can come in the form or the guise of suffering. Sort of like the end of course exams that we have to pass in order to advance in school. (laughs) Um, Whenever we want to up-level or change then a test will come along to test that resolve, to help us strengthen our resolve. For instance, maybe we decide to use our words only constructively. Or maybe we start teaching on forgiveness or writing about how to be a better parent. Jose Stevens calls these tests that we get Responses to bidding for power. Bidding for power is the up-leveling, the changes that we want to make. It's a natural human growth process. The tests that come along in response to our bids for power are not pass-fail tests, nor are they obstacles to up-leveling. They are simply helpers or supporters that call out to us, Hey, here's some practice for you. (laughs) I will help you learn what you need to know for even greater success on this path that you are choosing. I will help you rearrange your life to better reach your goals. My own transition to writing full-time happened under this type of suffering. I was working in law enforcement, doing about five different jobs because I was good at them all, And I lived in the state of hypervigilance. Everybody loved me. My boss was an absolute angel. And the sky was the limit for how far I could go. And yet, I desperately wanted to write. At first, after I started the job at the department, I wrote late at night after my family had gone to sleep. I wrote if I had a lunch break and on weekends. But as I spent more time in that state of hypervigilance and as I used the left side of my brain more and more exclusively in the jobs that I took on, I found it harder and harder to be creative. I couldn't focus on my writing and I was too exhausted all the time and my mind wouldn't stop problem solving the eternal issues at work. Anxiety became my norm and anxiety attacks came more and more frequently. At one point, I began to cry on the way to work and feel so hopeless and trapped and eventually just numb all the time. Hardly anybody knew this because I am a gold medal champion faker. (laughs) People are shocked to find out that I'm way introverted because I'm that good at faking social exuberance. Eventually, the pain got bad enough that I quit my job to write. I told most people that I had decided I needed to chase my dream because when I'm 80 and looking back at my life, I'm quite certain I will regret not writing 
And this is absolutely true. It's also true that I was suffering at an almost unprecedented level. And that's saying something after some of the things that I've survived. The truth is, suffering came to me as a test. And it forced me to consciously choose to risk much if I really wanted to up-level, to change my life. Suffering helped me rearrange my life so that it supported my dreams and my calling and my passion. In Dolores's more recent book titled Sacred Hidden Knowledge, it says this, In life, there has to be obstacles. Otherwise, how do you prove that you've learned anything? We don't have to have big problems. If there is no dark, you don't recognize light. If you don't do it for yourself and everything's just easy and all laid out, there is no growth. It's the challenges that are growth. So the whole idea is to grow to learn to master human emotions, to experience the joy and limit the fear and do it anyway. It is important to learn to overcome fear. End quote. I want to talk about a few ways to work with suffering. And once again, there are many more. (laughs) So I've just chosen what has been some of the most effective ways for me to work with suffering. When we talk about ways to work with suffering, it's important to recognize that we have choices. Instead of going immediately into trying to stop the suffering or escape it, we have choices. If suffering is a tool that is meant to be added to our toolbox, we don't want to just throw it away or avoid it. We might want to actually welcome it, to examine it and learn what it is and how to use it. So here are six examples of choices that we have when we are in pain or of other ways to work with suffering. Number one is my very favorite, gratitude. Gratitude is like a life raft to get ourselves through the storms of life without drowning. Gratitude energetically expands us. We are the container for every experience during life. So if we expand, then we have more breathing room, more space to look at and deal with difficulties like suffering. Gratitude invites in higher frequency emotions and then replicates them every time that we choose to feel gratitude or focus on gratitude. I started a gratitude practice while I was working at the department. My rule was that during my commute, I had to think of and say at least three things that I was thankful for. So towards the end there, when it got kind of dark and and hard for me, I'd be often crying and driving and muttering (laughs) my gratitudes. Like, I'm thankful the car's working, or I'm thankful I get to see the mountains every day at least. I'm thankful I have clothes that I like. In the midst of suffering, we can still focus on what we appreciate in life, even if it's the very basics like clean water or sunrises or a cup of tea, maybe a job or a person. Any gratitude expands us and helps us use suffering as the tool that it is. Gratitude is energetically powerful 
and can shift how we experience every part of life. Number two, second choice, acceptance, acceptance. And by this, I mean accepting every single emotion that touches us, every bit of pain or joy or fear or excitement, letting every single experience, including suffering into our life, letting it become conscious and seen and allowed to exist. Because here's the secret. They all pass. They all pass once we consciously learn their lesson. It's what we resist, what we won't allow or see or feel that lingers and tries a hundred different ways to get our attention. This practice, radical acceptance, in itself reduces much of our suffering. It is said that complete self-acceptance and self-love is what we are seeking from the soul level. Number three, self-care. Once we are practicing radical acceptance, the next step is giving ourselves exactly what we need, which could also be uh, explained as loving ourselves. If this is hard, think of yourself as a small child and give yourself exactly what that small child needs most in the moment, especially when you're suffering. Ask, what do I need most right now? And then care for yourself. Care for yourself with the same nurturing love and acceptance and joy that a parent would use to care for a distressed child. Self-care is not something that you earn with good behavior. It is the constant and unconditional act of love which is the same thing that we might consider as divine or God love. Self-care is something that we give ourselves, not after we've checked everything off of our to-do list, not when we've lived in the way that we hoped we would or done all the right things, but when we are in the hardest parts of life, when stuff hurts. This is when it's most important to care well for ourselves. Number four, asking for what you need. As you accept and nurture and care for yourself, if there are ways that the people in your life can love you well, communicate that to them. Without expectations and completely, deeply accepting their no or their yes to requests. Have the humility and the courage and the self-worth to ask for what you need. And this can be super hard, super hard. This is one of the things that I fail at the most. (laughs) One of the most difficult practices for me. But when I do it, when I have the vulnerability and the courage to do this, it makes such a difference in my relationships. It can super up-level my relationships. It's incredibly rewarding for myself and those who love me. If asking people is too hard at first, you can ask the angels and the guides that are always at your side, just waiting for the chance to comfort and assist you. They're always there and they're always loving, but you have to ask. They will not violate free will. You have to ask for help and then receive it. Number five, choosing things like 
joyfulness and contentedness and finding or creating beauty. Now, I am not seeking constant happiness because I understand that life is meant to be more than just happy all the time. I do choose to be content with what is, acceptance, and letting what I have be enough. And I choose to find happiness when I want it. And I've learned not to wait until there's no suffering to choose these things. I have learned that like beauty, joy exists inside all of life, even the suffering. Like the wise teachings that say we can choose to find the beauty of any given moment, we can also choose to find the joy of any given moment. We can create beauty. We can create happiness and contentedness and joy. So instead of passively waiting to have joy or waiting to find contentedness, just choose it. Decide. Decide to be content. Create it. Using gratitude will help you find or notice these higher vibrational experiences and emotions regularly. Focusing on what we want instead of whatever suffering we are in balances out the suffering. It can even change our perspective entirely about the suffering. One of my favorite Rumi poems says, Dance when you're broken open. Dance if you've torn the bandage off. Dance in the middle of the fighting. Dance in your blood. Dance when you are perfectly free. End quote. And the sixth choice that we have when we're suffering, forgiveness. A Sufi holy man was asked what forgiveness was. He said, it is the fragrance that flowers give when they are crushed. Forgiveness is nothing short of magic. Forgiveness actually stops karmic cycles. Forgiveness can stop suffering, can allow healing to enter. Of all of these ways to work with suffering, I think the pivotal one is forgiveness. And self-forgiveness has to come first. We often forget to forgive our own imperfection or our own perceived mistakes or failings. But it is only when we have fully forgiven ourselves that we can fully forgive another. Forgiveness flows out of acceptance. So not approving or agreeing that an act of unlove is okay, but just accepting that it happened and accepting whatever pain or emotions it brought to you, and then forgiving. It is not up to us to teach another person what's right or wrong. In fact, it's impossible unless they allow it. So our choice then is to forgive the wrongs done to us and the wrongs that we have done or to allow our own suffering to continue. Emmanuel says, forgiveness is not for others. It is for you. Lastly, I want to touch just briefly on what can we offer to ease others' suffering. Another quote from Rumi. Today's a Rumi day, I guess. (laughs) Be a lamp or a lifeboat or a ladder. Help someone's soul heal. Walk out of your house like a shepherd. End quote. Emmanuel says that every moment of love and concern that we feel 
eases someone who is suffering. The concept of metta that is often used in meditation practices is the same type of idea. Metta is the practice of sending out loving kindness to ease the suffering of individuals or to ease the suffering of all beings. Certainly, certainly, we can love and treat others as we would want to be loved and treated. We can do what's in our power and our calling to ease suffering, whether that's individually or collectively. There are so many wonderful organizations that exist out there where we can plug in to helping, to offering ourselves and our service, whatever that might look like, to ease the suffering of others. One of my favorite organizations is called Exodus Road. My friends Matt and Laura Parker started it, and it works to free slaves all over the world, specifically victims of sex trafficking. Yobel Market is another one that a friend of mine started uh, quite a long time ago, and they take groups of people to high-poverty countries, high-poverty areas, and teach classes, um, all kinds of different classes, whether it's in how to start and run a business or different types of creating, like sewing or building. And then Yobel Market also imports products that are made by people in high poverty areas and sells them here in our U.S. market so that those people make a fair and living wage. There are things like accepting immigrants into our country or accepting foster children into our homes or adopting. There are, of course, homeless shelters and animal shelters. Diana sings with a choir that's called the Threshold Singers, and this is a group of ladies who go to the bedside of people who are dying, people who are passing on, and sing to them. And it is precious and so, so beautiful. So what needs is it that you encounter the most? Where do you see the most suffering? And what could you do to meet them? Something else that might come up when we talk about easing the suffering of others is how do we know when someone is suffering? This might sound like a simplistic question, but sometimes we forget. Sometimes we get so busy, so wrapped up in our own lives that we forget that others are suffering. Well, often it's people who are just being the biggest asses, right? <laughs> um, finally, after way too many years of marriage, I figured out that the times when my husband was acting like the world's biggest jerk <laughs> were the times that he was suffering the most. And the same thing was true of my children and myself. And I'm still working on getting past my reactions to mean behavior, especially when it's a stranger. But when I do, when I can, when I am present and aware enough, I try to aim for the heart. So I might ask something like, what can I do to support you right now? And often is not, the answer to that is simply listening compassionately without trying to fix things, without trying to change things for that person. Now, of course, when I know that person and I know their love language, I can start with that. For my husband, it's a head massage. For one son, it is sitting or laying beside him after bringing him a cup of tea and verbalizing what I love about him. For another son, it's things like decluttering his room a little, or folding some of his laundry, or maybe a small impromptu gift. 
I want to end with a quote from Dolores Cannon's book titled Sacred Hidden Knowledge, specifically addressing healers, those of you who every day give yourselves to easing the suffering of others. It says this, With healing, there are those who are not ready. They want their illness or their suffering. It serves them. They have to be ready. Some of them relate to Jesus telling them in the Bible to cast out their demons first. It's not a real demon. It's the beliefs inside of them. They can't heal. There's no point in bothering to heal them until the demons have been cast out and the demons are of their own creating. If someone wants to stay in lower energies, you must honor that. You have done your job. End quote. And I just share this because I think it's such an important awareness for all of us who want to help ease the suffering that sometimes that's not our job. <laughs> sometimes it's not appropriate at that time. All right, that is what I've got for you today. Your additional resources, ooh, we've got a bunch here. Let's see. Anthony DeMillo's books, The Way to Love or Rediscovering Life, Awaken to Reality, both have wonderful perspectives about suffering. Elizabeth Lesser's book, Broken Open, has been such a help to me in my deep, dark moments. Colin Tipping's Radical Forgiveness, wonderful, wonderful practices to learn and uh, use forgiveness. Anything and Everything by Tara Brock. Tara Brock is spelled T-A-R-A-B-R-A-C-H. And you can just do an internet search for Tara Brock on suffering and start delving into the many compassionate podcast teachings or meditations that she offers. They're all beyond wonderful. Jose Stevens at thepowerpath.com has some articles that I have found especially helpful to understand the larger collective suffering that is happening around the world right now and some perspectives uh, about what is happening beneath the surface or behind the scenes. A man named Kyle Cease has some great uh, sample clips available on YouTube, some great practices and teachings on accepting all of our experiences and all of our emotions. He offers some excellent and life-changing perspectives and practices as well. And anything that Brene Brown offers, pretty much, whether her books, her TED Talks, or her interviews. (laughs) That is it. That's the end of the list. Remember to visit our author website at ddadair.com. That's ddadair.com. And let us know what questions you have about this or any other information that we share. Also, sign up for an email notification if you would like to know when our Atlantis book series is published. Thank you so much for your time today. Many, many blessings on you and blessings on your day.